Imperial China had to, used to have this method of execution, and it was called Ling Chi. And it was, a, it was a, a pretty gruesome type of execution they used to do. And this was back before 1905. And, and they, would, they would make one small cut on you, like a paper cut almost. And then they would make another one. And they called it death by a thousand cuts. Now think about that. A paper cut hurts. Come on, somebody. You can be as manly as you want. You cut your finger with a paper, that junk hurts. I say Ouch. But they, 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 they cut you a thousand times, so it's a, it's a thousand little cuts that you eventually bleed out with, and they do them one at a time. That's pretty gruesome, right? Pretty cruel. What if we took that principle and turned it around for good and started to develop one habit at a time? What could happen? You see, one paper cut isn't going to kill you, but a thousand just might. Right? What if we started one decision, one habit at a time and see if we couldn't change our lives? I want to show you today from the life of Daniel how he was slow and steady, or actually small and steady. He did some small and steady things in his life. And I want to show you that this morning. Go with me to Daniel chapter 6. If you were here Tuesday, uh, I preached from this same portion of Scripture a message on Tuesday, but I'm not going to preach the same message that way. I'm going I'm to teach you something a little bit different today. I want you to see something in Daniel's life that can help us. Amen? So Daniel chapter 6, uh, let me set this up a little bit. This is the story of the lion's den. This is the story where Daniel actually gets thrown into the lion's den, and then God does this incredible miracle with Daniel. And, and by the way, just a little side note, Daniel is about 83 to 87 years old right now. At this point in the story, at this point in the story, Daniel was brought into captivity at the age of 17. And he gets thrown in the lion's den between 83 and 87. We'll get to that in a minute. So Daniel chapter six, starting in verse one, Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. And he appointed the high officer, a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others to as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interest. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers because of Daniel's great ability, and the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Wow. Daniel's about to get placed over the entire empire, but he's a prisoner. He's in captivity. Which begs the question, what makes Daniel a prisoner stand out above all the rest? What is it that makes him stand out above the rest? What is it that makes him get the attention that he gets? What is it that, that, that brings all this attention to him? Why does he get the promotion? He's a prisoner, right? These other guys weren't prisoners. They were actually natives to the land. They were home folk. But Daniel, the prisoner is getting elevated and promoted beyond them. And it starts to cause some conflict. But it begs the question, how does he do that? How does your life stand out above everybody else's? Is it through self-promotion? Is it through promoting yourself on Facebook? Is it through advertisement? How do you stand out? 
How did Daniel stand out? Let me explain it a little bit. Daniel stood out above the rest, and you've got to get this principle this morning, because Daniel refused to let his situation and his environment change his spiritual condition. What does that mean, Pastor? That means Daniel refused to let a simple attack against him change who he was in Christ. What I find amazing is that Daniel goes into captivity at 17 and we pick up the story at 83 to 87 and he's still growing. And I go, oh man, this is incredible because Daniel's a prisoner at 17, but he doesn't let the fact that he's a prisoner stop him from spiritual growth. Come on. You got to get this this morning because some of you are letting every single little thing bother you, affect you and push you back. And I'm here to tell you this morning, you got to quit that. You got to quit sweating the small stuff when stuff's coming at you. Daniel's in prison. You're not getting this. Daniel's in prison and he's still growing spiritually. Goes in at 17 and at 83, he's still growing. I go, wow. Are you that person that lets every little thing that happens around you bother you? Are you that person that sweats everything? Are you the person that the people around you have to walk on pins and needles because they know you might blow up if the least little thing is done? You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand. Listen to me. Daniel refused to let his situation, his environment, change his spiritual growth. He didn't let it stop his spiritual growth. You're going to have to get this this morning. Daniel went into captivity with the mindset that I am going to refuse to change. You might bring me into your country and surround me with your gods and get me into a different culture and attack me and keep me from my homeland, but I'm not going to let that change whether or not I'm still growing. Mm -mm. See, you, you can grow and your spouse may not grow. And you can let that be an excuse to quit growing yourself. Or you can determine in your heart to keep growing and help them grow with you. You can come under attack and be ready for it and not let it throw you back. Okay, let me, let me get a little bit deeper with this. Daniel went into captivity refusing to get drawn into a fight he didn't need to be in. Okay, our battle is in the heavenly realms. It's in the spiritual realm. What kind of fight are we supposed to be fighting? A spiritual fight, not a flesh fight. Now, somebody breaks into my house, we're going to fight. Okay, ain't nothing religious about it. I'm beating you up, tying you up, calling the police, all right? But this ain't a spiritual thing. This you in my house, <laughs> Right? But when it comes to me and Cheryl, watch this. I've learned over 20-something years of marriage that the enemy wants me and Cheryl to get in the ring together. He wants us to put the gloves on 
and get ready to duke it out. It took me 20 years to wake up, but I realized I don't win. I mean, think about it. If you're fighting with your wife, who wins? Nobody wins. This is how it goes in my house. If we let the enemy pull us into a flesh fight, then we start arguing. Then we start screaming. Then we start hollering. And we start saying things we really don't mean, right? And then I storm out the room. I go to the living room. I say, Lord, you better straighten that woman up. I'm right this time. And then 30 minutes later, after I get myself up off the floor from crying my eyes out and repenting to God, I go into the bedroom and I go, sorry, babe. I was an idiot. I'm done with that. Can I be honest with you? I'm done with that. Every time we decide to move forward spiritually in our spiritual growth for Cheryl and I, even when it comes to this church, like life group semester is getting ready to kick off. If Cheryl and I are going to do a life group together, I guarantee you, Sha, there's going to be a fight that comes at us. There's going to be a moment where we're going to. And I got to remind myself and refuse to go into the flesh, but keep it where it belongs. You got that? Now, Daniel comes into captivity, refusing to let captivity captivate him. Refusing to let captivity change him. Oh, come on. Christians got to get this today. It's called a spiritual backbone. You can walk into the demon's den and not be changed. Come on. You can go work offshore with all them couillons and you cannot be changed. You can still be the light and not become the darkness. The enemy can come at you. People can come at you. Attacks can come at you. Death can happen. Loss can happen. But you don't have to change. You can still grow. You see it? That's what we see when we read Daniel. Is that at 17 years old, Daniel gets captured and brought into prison, brought in as a slave. But he continues to grow. Which poses the question how did he continue to grow? What caused him to grow? You see, what happens after this is that Daniel's getting ready to be promoted to, to over the whole kingdom. And he's, get this, he's a prisoner. He, he doesn't, he's not even the same, he's not from the same country. He's, he's, he's a Jew. He's, he's, an, he's from Israelite. He's, he's from Jerusalem. He's, he doesn't even belong here. And God's promoting him in the midst of all of his enemies. And, and here's the thing you need to write down. Anytime God starts to grow you and promote you, people in the devil are going to hate you. <laughs> Pretty simple pattern that happens, I've noticed as a Christian. When the enemy ain't mad at me, he's glad with me. If he's glad with me, I'm not a threat to him. If I'm not growing spiritually, I'm not threatening anything. Which means the opposite. If I begin to do some small habits in my life, if I read my Bible every day for five minutes, I move up on his radar. I don't want to be up on his radar. Why didn't stay where you at? And don't grow. 
and keep fighting the same fights, going around the same mountains, circling the same hills, struggling with the same struggles. And he'll leave you alone. Daniel refused to change. Daniel's brought in at 17. What made Daniel stand out above the rest? You see, what happens is, is the, the other officials around Daniel, the ones that weren't getting promoted, begin to plot to tear Daniel down. Uh, the Bible says that they come after his, his business, how he handles the government affairs. And it says that they could not find a single thing to accuse him of. Which I find is another fascinating story. Because Daniel's in prison and he's still working as though he's working for God and not for his slave king. That means you can walk through some junk and still have a good attitude at work. That means you can still do things with excellence. Y'all don't want to hear that. They'd look for ways to accuse him. They can't find anything to throw against him or throw at him. So then they say, they make this decision, you know what? If we can't find anything to accuse him in his work ethic, we're going to accuse him in his relationship with God. And they come after his religion, the Bible says, and they, they trick the king to, to, to make this decree that for 30 days, everybody in the kingdom, everybody under the sound of his voice can only pray to the king. They can't pray to anybody else. So they, they flattered the king into writing the, the decree, which was unchangeable. But they knew that that same decree would get Daniel in trouble. So watch this in verse 10. It says, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual, say usual, in his upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. So Daniel hears the bad news. Now this news personally affects Daniel. Because Daniel's a man that prays three times a day to God, not to king. So this decree, Daniel realizes, is going to get him in trouble. It's going it's to pull away from his relationship with God. You seeing it? It's going to mess up my, my groove. It's going to mess up my habits. It's going to mess up this thing that I've been building my life on all these years. They're coming after my, my consistent relationship with God. They didn't want to distract me they want to break it they want to break my habits they don't want me to meet with God anymore and what does Daniel do (laughs) goes to his room (laughs) opens his door like he always does his windows towards Jerusalem gets on his knees and he goes to God about it it didn't say he posted it it didn't say he went to the barbershop and complained about it he didn't call T-boy and them and tell them what was going on and cry and fuss He went to God first, right? Why do we go to God first? Because you need God's instructions before you need anybody else's instructions. You need God's perspective before you even need your own perspective. So when you got some issues in your life, you need to go to God. Here's the secret. It was already Daniel's habit before this happened. When you're in the middle of a fight, it's too late to create a habit. You need to develop habits now. When I meet with God in the morning, 
He prepares me for everything I'm going to face that day. If I don't meet, I don't prepare. Come on. I end up walking into problems, issues, and struggles empty-handed. This is simple, simple Christianity, y'all. Meet with God, get his perspective, let him speak over you, and watch your day change. Doesn't mean the problems are going to come. It means when they come, you're prepared and ready for them. Daniel had a habit, I think, even before 17, of meeting with God three times a day. So when a crisis would come, he didn't have to freak out. Because you see, when you go and you meet with God, he reminds you of who you are and he gives you confidence to know that everything's going to be okay. (laughs) Come on. When we don't meet with God, we leave ourselves hanging. We're vulnerable. If he doesn't meet with God, then he's wondering, am I right or am I wrong? Do I do this or do I do that? What do I do? Do I fight? Do I don't fight? Do I do this? Do I tell every time? Do I cry for help? Do I run? He's confused. Who loves to live in confusion? (laughs) He didn't want to be confused, so his habit is to go to God. When he doesn't understand something, he goes to God. When he's in trouble, he goes to God. When people come against him, he goes to God. When he's not feeling good, he goes to God. When everything's going well, he goes to God. And the Bible says he gives him thanks. Why? Does God... (laughs) Is he like an applause-hungry God? Does he live off of our applauses? I believe God wants us to give thanks because we need it more than he does. We need to remind ourselves of how he showed up the first time so that we can make it through the second time. Amen? So Daniel is in trouble. He goes to God. Here's what I find is funny is that they knew right where to bust him. They went straight to his apartment, kicked open the door like the SWAT team, walked in and arrested him. Brought him to the king and said, hey, you signed this decree? We caught this dude praying to God, his God. What you going to do, king? You can't change the decree. What you going to do? Notice the Bible says Daniel didn't fight back. He didn't do what Peter did in the garden. He didn't cut nobody's ear off. Right? He didn't fight back. He didn't get drawn into a flesh fight when it was a spiritual battle. You see, what was at stake here was God's name in that kingdom. Not Daniel's reputation. But you don't know that unless you're meeting with God. So the Bible says that the king is upset. I find this funny too because the king falls in love with the prisoner. It says the king's upset because he couldn't find a way to get Daniel out of this. And then it says that he fasted for Daniel. (laughs) When you're doing what God wants you to do, he'll even make your enemies pray for you. You didn't hear me. He'll even make your enemies like you. The king was so worried about Daniel, he went home and refused his normal entertainment. In other words, he didn't turn on the TV and drown out his sorrows with an episode of Seinfeld. He didn't do that. 
He didn't do his usual entertainment. He was upset there was something broken in his relationship with Daniel. Daniel meant that much to him, but let me remind you, Daniel's a prisoner. The Bible says he didn't even sleep. Next morning, he wakes up. They already threw Daniel into the lion's den. He wakes up. It says he runs to the den crying out, Daniel, Daniel, are you okay? Did your God save you? Watch Daniel's response. Verse 21. Daniel answers, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent, watch this, in his sight. And I have not wronged you, your majesty. Where do you get that kind of confidence? Where do you get that kind of faith? How does your faith get to lion den faith? Come on. You might just be at some mouse in the house kind of faith right now. Where you just got enough faith. If you see a mouse, you ain't going to kill nobody. You got some mouse-sized faith. But how do you get to, to lion's den faith? How do you get to that point where you can go sleep with some lions? One day at a time. One prayer time at a time. From age 17 to age 85, Daniel prays on on an average over 76,000 times. He decides to meet with God between age 17 and 85. That's where your faith is built to sleep with lions. It's not built when they capture you and they bring you to the lion's den. Too late. Too late. You got to be prepared today for what's coming at you later on. That's why we grow in faith every day. You say, well, I don't need to grow. I got enough faith. I don't need to grow. You better keep growing in faith. Come on. One decision at a time. Wow. Daniel didn't get it when he needed it. Daniel got it before he needed it. It's kind of like he stored up some faith for whatever he would face. I think it's valuable. What happens if you make one decision to start one habit? today what happens to your life well you'll never know until you start (laughs) right that's pretty simple Daniel sleeps with the lions I'd love to be Daniel's grandson hey Papa tell me the lion story again did they growl at you were they licking their lips I mean, like, how did you sleep with the lions? How did they not eat you? What happened, Papa? Come on, I want some some Daniel, some some lion den stories to tell my grandkids. Come on, somebody. I just want to say, oh, I was a hard worker my whole life. I walked uphill to work, walked uphill back in the snow every day. I don't. That, so what? Did you slay a lion? Did you sleep in a den? I mean, what did you do? Did you do something exciting? Everybody goes to work. Did you kill the Goliaths in your life? Did you kill the giants in your life, Papa? 
Number one, public power comes from private practice. Public power comes from private practice. Daniel didn't wait till he had a problem to cry out to God. He was in the habit of crying out to God all the time. He was disciplined. Discipline is any act that makes the future you say thank you. You know success is not an accident. You don't just accidentally become successful. People say, oh, so-and-so, he was an overnight success. That's a lie. You don't know what they went through to get to where they were. Right? Success comes when you intentionally create habits, small ones, to change your future. In 2018, I determined I was going to be close to God. I, I, I shared this at the end of last week's message. I was struggling in my Bible reading time. Just to get real honest with you, preachers struggle too. I was having a hard time just reading my paper book Bible. And I said, you know what? I've never read the Bible all the way through in a year. I said, you know, I'm a preacher. I probably should do that. And some of you are like, oh, I'm leaving this church. That man ain't even. Well, you can't leave until you read yours all the way through in a year. But I said, you know what, I'm going to do something different. I'm, I'm going to read my Bible. So I got this version app, and, and I click on it every morning. I showed you this last week, didn't I? Yeah, some of you weren't here, though. But that's no big deal. This thing will read to me. Let me get in my right version. See that? I mean, this guy's professional. Background music. Come on, if it gets dramatic, a little dramatic music, the music kinds of bills. This guy likes to cut grass, work cattle, drive in the car, hang out on the back porch. I ain't got to feed him. I ain't got to give him nothing to drink. He don't cost me nothing. The app's free. And he reads to me as long as I want him to. I made a decision to change my reading habits. I said, every day I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to turn this thing on. This guy's going to read me the Bible for one year. And he did. And it was so good. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do it again. And I jumped and just, and I'm reading the New Testament again. And so what this did is this took my boredom, it took my, my, my dryness in God's word, and it created something that made me want to go back to my paper Bible. You got to understand, if you're not putting God's word in your heart, you're not changing. You're not going to change. My preaching ain't that good. Thank you for not saying amen. You just really built my confidence up. But I'm serious. You are responsible to feed yourself God's word. Public power is, is made in private practices. I did a wedding yesterday, and, and, and I, it was a wedding celebration. In other words, I did the wedding in August, and they, it was in the backyard. They needed her getting married, and, and so we did that, and then they wanted to do a, a wedding, a fancy wedding. So I said, okay, let's do it. So we did, and they asked me to do a celebration. I've never done a celebration before. I've always done weddings, so you do the vows and everything like that. They said, no, just, just do a celebration. I'm like, we know what that means. Like, yay! <laughs> Y'all got married. <laughs> I, mean, I was like, what? And so I just I pulled up some scriptures and I, and I went to Second Corinthians and I went to Ephesians chapter five where the Bible says that the woman is to submit 
right? Come on, ladies, that's your favorite portion of scripture. And then, then the next couple of verses, it says, and then the man's supposed to lay his life down for the, his wife, like Christ laid his life down for the church, to which I go, can we swap? Can I submit and you die? <laughs> and I'm reading that portion of scripture, and a little bit later on in Ephesians, it says, and he washed her with God's word. And I went, I've read through it a hundred times, but it just stuck out. And I went, how do I do that? How do I wash Cheryl with God's word? And I started to think, I said, well, there's a couple of ways to do it. I can quote scripture to her all the time. You know, if she's having a bad day, well, babe, Roman says this, and you need to stand on the word. And I could, what I call Bible beat her. Okay. She's having a bad day. She don't need to be Bible beat. Right? So that means that I probably don't need to quote a whole lot of scripture to her. <laughs> In fact, my past experiences says don't. Because <laughs> she's a preacher's wife, but she'd be like, shut up. <laughs> yes, ma'am. But I, I realized that as the head of the house, if I'll take this word and put it in me, it'll begin to change my words. His word put in me changes my words. I wash her with my words that come as a result of putting his word in me. I don't put his word in me. I, I don't change her with my words. I make her worse. You hearing what I'm saying this morning? So uh, God's word does change her, but it changes me first. Ladies ought to be saying amen, pastor. Preach, preacher. He needs to be in the word, pastor. He got a bad mouth. He mean. Come on. And y'all still ain't excited. <laughs> I put it in me so that when it comes out of me, it still gives life. You see, the world don't want to hear 2 John 1, 7, 33. They don't want to hear that. They want to hear my story. They want to hear how this thing came alive inside of me, right? And it's something that I do in private. Public power comes from private practice. Hudson Taylor said that a little thing is a little thing, but faithfulness in a little thing is a big thing. The only difference is the faithfulness in it. So number two, all habits are not created equal. Or not all habits are created equal. All habits are powerful, but they're not equally powerful. There was a guy by the name of Charles uh, Duig that, that wrote this book called The Power of Habits. And in his book, he talks about keystone habits. The keystone habits are a habit that leads to more habits. It's like you can begin to do something and it'll begin to create more habits in you. It's called a keystone habit. Daniel had them. It was prayer and gratitude with some of his keystone habits. Habits. So he habitually prayed and he habitually told God how grateful he was, which created more habits in him. Are you seeing this? It's keystone habits. Jesus had some keystone habits. Watch this in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. It says, When he came to Nazareth, where he had been raised, he went into the synagogue as he always did on the Sabbath day. One of Jesus' keystone habits was going to church every Sunday. 
And I've been challenging you since the, since the years begun to be in church every Sunday. What if you decided for 52 days to bring you and your family here and plant yourself here every Sunday? How would that change your life? You want me to tell you how? Number one, you'll come to an environment, and I'll get real practical with you, you're going to have to dress up a little bit on a Sunday. That means you can't walk around all day in your pajamas. So you're going to do your hair, your makeup, get dressed. That's good for you. And you're going to come to church. There's going to be nice people in the parking lot that greet you. You're going to come here and you're going to start to connect with some people that you need in your life. And then you're going to get into God's presence when the worship team's up there wailing away at it and the presence of God is here. And then you're going to get an encouraging message. And then you're going to get prayed for. And then you're going to get to go home and live that thing out 52 times this year. Do you think it might change your life? You think it might change your mind? It might change your perspective? It might help your marriage? We talk a lot about marriage A lot of marriages need help. (laughs) Hello. Might be a good place to be. Right? Jesus had the habit of being in church every Sunday. Luke chapter 22 says that here's another keystone habit for Jesus. He left the upper room with his disciples as was his habit. He went to the Mount of Olives, his place of secret prayer. That's funny. He's in the Bible. And Daniel's in the Bible, and they both got the same habit, prayer. (laughs) You see it? Prayer just might change things. Not all habits are created equal. There's some habits that lead to other habits. Listen to what this uh, commander of of the Navy said. His name's uh, William McRaven. He said, if you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task and another and another. By the end of the day, that one task completed will turn will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. Just from making your bed. I'll go a little bit further. I think it's great when you make your bed in the morning because it's true. You do create one, you get one little thing accomplished and it kind of builds a little momentum and that's great. But the reward is, is when your tired tail gets home and you want to climb in bed, you ain't got to make it to get in it. It's already made before you get in it. The best bed to sleep in is a made bed. Okay. Y'all need to go and make your bed. <laughs> he, he said family dinners. Listen to this about family. Families who habitually eat dinner together seem to raise children with, home, with better homework skills, higher grades, greater emotional control, and more confidence. Wow. Exercise. I really hate this one. 
Typically, people who exercise start eating better, become more productive at work. They smoke less, show more patience with colleagues and family, use their credit cards less frequently, and say they feel less stressed. So what's the keystone habit you need to start? What's the one thing you need to start doing? Come on, the Holy Spirit's speaking this morning. And I really believe he's speaking to every one of us today. What is the one thing you need to start doing that's going to change a lot of other things in your life? So let me give you some action steps and then we'll wrap this up. Action step number one. Focus on what you do first. Do you know the first thing that you do every day says something about you? It does. The first thing that you do says something about you. It says a lot about you. Deuteronomy 14.23 says, The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God in first place in your life. You've heard me say this a thousand times. God doesn't need your money. He just wants to be first in your life. Right? Tithing reminds you that God is first and you're not. Do you wake up in the morning and automatically give him thanks that you're alive? That nobody broke in? That the kids slept all night? Come on, you young mamas. You'll you'll dance over that one. What we do first says a lot about us. The purpose is to get a continual habit of putting God first. That's why we have the first of the year, we do prayer and fasting. First of the month, we schedule things. First of the week, we go to church. First of the day. What would happen if you took five minutes every day and listened to God's word for 365 times this year? What would it do? It might turn into 15 minutes a day. That might turn into 30 minutes a day. I'm telling you, it'll happen. You'll fall in love with God's word if you give it a shot. It'll pull you in. The Bible says when you eat physical food, you get full and you don't want to eat anymore. But he says when you eat spiritual food, you don't get full, you get more hungry. Come on, that's what happens to me with bluebell. It's like the more I eat, the more I get hungry, the more I want. Actually, it doesn't. When I give God the first of my time, he multiplies it. When I give him the first of my finances, he multiplies it. So number one, focus on what you do first. Number two, start small. Start small. Don't overwhelm yourself. Start small. What small thing? I'm talking about small and steady today. What small thing can you do? St. Francis of Assisi said, start doing what's necessary then what's possible, and suddenly you're doing the impossible. Do what's necessary, then what's possible, and suddenly you're doing the impossible. Because I know what some of you are thinking this morning. I can't do that. I can't. I can't. I can't. I want to say to you, how long are you going to live behind I can't? I used, to, I used to employ a bunch of Mexicans, and they would joke. I'd tell them they couldn't do something. They said, bro, I'm a Mexican, not a Mexicaint. 
Are you letting I can't hold you back? I can't lead a life group. I can't tell somebody about Jesus. I can't do this. I can't serve in church. I can't do this. I can't get up 10 minutes early, pastor. You never will if you keep saying you can't. Right? I can't. Just start doing what's necessary and just see what happens. Listen to this verse from Zechariah. This ought to encourage you. It says, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Who's rejoicing? The Lord is rejoicing. Why? Because you're going to start something new. You're going to do something different. So get this. Wrap your mind around this. Tonight, make a plan to get up in the morning and read your Bible for five minutes. And you know what's going to happen? When you wake up in the morning, the Lord's going to be rejoicing. He's going to be excited. Because he doesn't despise small beginnings. He rejoices over small beginnings. Come on, I'm not asking for a lot today. I'm not trying to encourage you with a whole lot today. I'm trying to say, hey, just give it something. One small thing. Just like the opening video, one small domino began to fall, and then it began to build momentum so that when it got to the bigger ones, it was able to knock the bigger ones down. You see it? What do you need to start? Don't let the start stop you. You never finish what you don't start. Right? I want to be a better husband. Well, maybe you need to learn when to keep your mouth shut. Maybe you need to say good morning. Maybe you need to say thanks for supper. I want to be a better wife. What if you start praying for him during the day? What if you wake up with him in the morning and send him out with a good old teeth brushed kiss? Come on, somebody. What if when he walks in the door, you go, thanks, babe, for working hard today. I appreciate you. When's the last time you did that? Because you see, what's not appreciated or celebrated never gets repeated. Right? What do you need to start? I want to be a better parent. Maybe you just need to sit on their bed in, at the, it, before they go to bed and just talk to them about their day. Don't teach them nothing. Don't correct them. Don't give them instructions for tomorrow. Just listen to how their day went. How many of you could say, if I would have grown up that way, it would have been a whole lot better? Something small. 